The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Ellen Debenport. This is Voices of Unity. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise to help you dive deep into spiritual topics so you can discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. I'm Ellen Debenport. I'm the host and kind of an MC for this show. The focus is really on the guests. They are sometimes unity ministers, other new thought leaders, uh, people who can share something special they've learned, kind of a body of work. So they're not just one-time guests. They stay for weeks so we can truly explore their areas of special interest. Sometimes they talk about unity teaching specifically. Sometimes it's just generally related to spiritual practice. And it's sort of all of the above today with our guest, Ben Jameson. This is Ben's third week to be here in the studio at the Unity Tower. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. We um, stopped right in the middle of a great conversation last week. If you haven't heard that one, you might want to go back and listen. But we ended up at the end talking about love, which is such a huge topic. Uh, But let's do a little review first before we get to love. Sure. Because I know we'll spend a lot of time on that. Ben wrote a book called Church-Free Spirituality, and we've been talking about what that means. He's not anti-church. You can also be spiritual and go to church. But basically it boils down to what are your spiritual practices? What do you do if you call yourself spiritual? What are you doing about it? And so what is it we've talked about so far? So we've talked about a lot of things so far. Ultimately, uh, in relation to the book and to a spiritual practice, we've talked about how the most important thing is finding out what works for you. Do we not take anything at face value just because somebody says that this is the truth and therefore it must be true for you? To rather take that idea and explore it, experience it, practice it, see what happens, and allow your experience of that practice to be the authority in whether or not that that particular thing works for you. Um, with, with my understanding of spirituality and my take on it, it's very individualized. It's very unique. Uh, it's as unique as the fingerprint that each of us has because our spirituality is something that comes through our own consciousness. And that consciousness that we each carry being created by our experiences uh, is incredibly unique. And so uh, that's the main thrust of the idea of church-free spirituality. A church doesn't have uh, the, the authority to dictate your spiritual practice. Nobody has a monopoly on what is and is not considered spiritual. And so it's all about taking the time to explore and find out what works for you, to take the authority back into yourself from, from the many things that the world might try to say about your spiritual practice. Because there's really nothing more important or more valuable to have than a deep and supportive and fulfilling spiritual practice. And I like that you've given us a lot of permission to define our own words. Mm-hmm. So you can use the word God or not. Mm-hmm. You can find other words for that. You don't have to meditate. You don't have to sit still for meditation. Uh, the point is 
I think a lot of people leave church and say they're spiritual, but then they don't do anything about right. it. So that's what we've been talking about is what are the practices? What can you actually do? Because it can be, of course, a richly rewarding part of your life. It takes a little effort, I guess. It Well, you get into it or you get out of it what you put into it. So sure, it takes a little effort if you want to get a little out of your spiritual practice. If you want to get a lot out of it, it takes a little bit more effort. <laughs> okay. So love. Yes. Love, um, I have some bias about mm-hmm. this. I think it's a useless word. I think the English language is not well equipped to describe all the things we mean by love. I absolutely I love agree. ice cream. I love you. I love God. It's just um, – it's gotten so broad. So I hope you'll be able to narrow it down or at least put it in different categories. Well, I think we start – again, we start at that, at that defining of words place. Um, so for me in my – the way I like to look at God, the universe, spirit, whatever, again, whatever your term is, um, that in its essence, that thing is unconditional love. That's the essence of it. That's its nature. That's what it is and what it does. It's that that impulsion of love, that loving energy in action that creates everything. Um, that's not really narrowing the term. That's kind of broadening the term a little bit. Um, but so when we focus on love in that way, if we say that God is all there is and God is love, then that must be true of what we are, of who we are, that in our essence as well, we are that presence of unconditional love. We have a really hard time with that, most of us. Um, The idea of love, like you said, in general gets so nebulous and can sometimes be so big that we just often say, it's too big for me to get, I'm not even going to focus on it. We put the term unconditional on top of that word, and now we've got something that's even weightier to say, wait a second, what does unconditional really mean when we're looking at loving? That I have to love, have to, (laughs) that I get to love somebody, something, myself, regardless of all my judgments about them, regardless of everything that I perceive as wrong, regardless of everything that I have inside of me that hurts, um, and I practice loving in the face of all of that. That's a really tall order. Whoa, okay. So let's go back to God is love. Uh huh. Um, I hear things like the universe is made of light mm-hmm. um, or intelligence, mm-hmm. and I get that, but love... I kind of think of as a human emotion. I have I have a little trouble imagining that that's what things are made of. So can you say some more about that? Sure. And and preface it by saying that, and we've talked about this a little bit already um, in previous weeks, that, that this idea of spirituality is a constant evolution. Mm-hmm. And that right now I'm in the midst of my own evolution around my understanding of God. So right. this, is, this is fertile ground for exploration right now. So I'm glad we're having this, this deep conversation. Because it's good for you. It's good for me. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so God is love. Um, I, I think – so previously we talked about uh, this idea that um, um, unlimited or infinite – that that term uh, we basically use as a catch-all label beyond our current ability to understand. So we understand what numbers are up to a point, right? We can 
fathom counting up to a certain number, but then we say that numbers are infinite, meaning we're never going to use all of those continual numbers, right? So I think to a degree, love has that same quality. Love it can be that catch-all label that includes everything we can't possibly understand about that experience, about that energy, about that idea. So we have to we have to look at what our experience of it is. Um, now, when I said that that God is love and that the action of love is is what what spurred creation. Um, I think for me what that means is that when I look inside of myself and I generate within myself the most profound feeling of love that I can, um, simply by focusing on what I understand love to be, that I cannot come up with anything more powerful than that in terms of a reason to have something rather than nothing. That there is such a desire inside of me to share that experience that if I were uh, this ultimate expression of creation, if I were, which we're all connected to, we're all part of, we're all one with God or spirit or the universe, um, that would be the thing for me that would really compel me to say, to to create, right? And and I, I realize that I'm using a lot of um, human-centric terms, um, a lot of anthropomorphic terms, which is something I'm working on getting away from. Um, but so, so that's I think that's that's where it goes for me. It starts at what's the greatest feeling I can generate inside of myself, knowing that what I can generate from my limited human experience is so paltry compared to what the total experience of unconditional love really is. I mean, we can all look inside of ourselves and we can all find that feeling, right? We can all, we can all find it. We can all create what our best understanding of a feeling of love is. And then we can imagine, well, if we put the unconditional qualifier on this, I, I, can, I can generate this feeling inside of myself and then I start looking at the things that I perceive in myself as faults. And it's harder for me to maintain that feeling of love, right? Or I can look at somebody else and and judge things that they're doing or things that they're not doing. And then that feeling of love that I've created in myself when I'm not focusing on on any of these, these unloving thoughts diminishes and it's harder to maintain. But there is the possibility for us to see all of those things and find even more loving in ourselves from looking at them. And I think that there is, um, we were speaking a little bit before we started the show today about love as a noun and love as a verb. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tend to, I tend to use the term loving a lot, um, moving into the loving, like into that energy of, of being the activity of love. Um, One of the things that I'm coming to in my own experience is that we've got these ideas about God, these ideas about spirit, love being one of those, right? And that if it's if spirit primarily is principle, so if God is love, then how does that love get activated? How does that love get experienced? How does that love get shared? How does that love get put to work? Um, and one of the answers that I've been toying with that's been beneficial for me lately is that I am the activator of that. 
that this presence of spirit, this presence of unconditional love is fully available all of the time. Now, what do I want to do with it? How do I want to activate it? And how do I want to bring that into the world? Because for it to come into the world through me, there's that key, right? Through me. It's kind of like if you go to water plants, right? Your garden hose is going to get wet by watering plants. The water has to flow through it and it has to receive that moisture as well. Same thing. So when there is this unlimited capacity for loving, which again, there's that word unlimited, right? Mm -hmm. We have no idea what the limits are or what the true experience of it is. But when we do our very best to generate that within ourselves and then to allow it to flow out, we get it because we give it. Right. right? Um, so that's, that's part of the spiritual practice of love. And I've kind of been rambling for a little while. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what I've, what I've said so far. Uh, I guess I want to make sure that it doesn't sound like we're talking about the anthropomorphic God, old man in the sky, mm -hmm. um, the Michelangelo God with the beard who is out there loving us. Right. Um, and actually that you can get into an argument within unity uh -huh. about just about the phrase God loves you. Yes. Um there are people who say that's perfectly fine. They love it. It's very comforting for them. It's inspiring for them. There are others who say, mm, God's not a being doing things mm -hmm. or feeling things. Uh, I don't think they would argue that God is love. I think they'd find other words, at least for God. Mm -hmm. uh, have you weighed in on that at all? Well, so so from what I heard, I think it's a perfect expression of how uh, spirituality is different for every single person. Um, <laughs> one of one of my favorite quotes from Ernest Holmes is, "The only God you will ever know is the God of your own understanding." So, for the people for whom God is the old man in the sky loving us. That is the God they know, and that is the God that is real for them. Mm -hmm. That may not be the God that is real for me. Um, and it doesn't, it's not wrong that that's the God that's real for them. That's the God of their own understanding, the God of their experience. And if they, they, they are, <laughs> that, those separating words again, if, uh, if they are receiving benefit from it and are learning from it and growing from it and feeling that loving, then by God, have that God and have it fully, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so, so yeah, I, I don't find that the anthropomorphic God works for me. I find that it is deeply rooted in my consciousness um, and that I am working to uproot it and to redefine that in a way that is less easy for me to then fall into the trap of, well, I've done all of my meditation and my prayer and this isn't happening yet. So why is this God holding this back from me when God is supposed to have a giving nature and all of that mumbo jumbo that the ego mind can spin and spin and spin, right? So I'm working on getting rid of that anthropomorphic idea because I find it doesn't work for me. But again, if it works for somebody. And it does for millions of for people. For millions of people. Then I say we celebrate that that works for for them, mm -hmm. and and make the space for that. Um, I don't personally, when I talk about God as love, um, I don't personally mean an anthropomorphic God intentionally. I may use words that sound like that, but that's not my intention. Um, I also have an interesting thing around this idea of God loves me. So because that creates this idea of something outside of myself loving me, and mm -hmm. yet. If 
And these are big terms that we could contemplate for eons and have contemplated for eons. If God is unconditional love and God is all there is, which means that God is everything in creation, then unconditional love has to be present in everything in creation. And so God does love me in the sense that God as the totality of unconditional love is expressing as me and must therefore I must therefore be loved to be love, right? Sort of like the idea that you can't water the garden without the hose getting wet. Um, the same thing must in some way apply, but then that's the trick, right? How do, we, how do we stay out of the anthropomorphizing if that doesn't work for us when the languaging comes so naturally? Okay. <laughs> um. And when I feel in touch with that presence mm-hmm. that I that I sense and that I believe is larger than myself, I feel loved. So part of it's just experiential. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't believe anymore that there is a supreme being out there loving me, uh, I suppose that's most when I feel just the unconditional love that the universe is. Mm-hmm is in meditation or whenever I'm feeling most connected. And in unity, of course, we say we're never separate. Uh, it's just a matter of awareness. Right. And so I think the spiritual practice of love is about, um, again, not connecting because that implies disconnection, but turning our attention to that loving within us and getting better at recognizing it as our nature and expressing it in the world. Um, not just for the world, but for us as well, because as we express the love, we get to feel the love. So you have in uh, the book, Church Free Spirituality, I think some different um, buckets or versions Mm -hmm. of human love. Yes. Talk about that for a while. Yeah. So, And I think, you know, a lot of different cultures have done this. I think the Greeks have six different versions or something like that. Part of this is, I think, an easier way to build a practice. So it's not that there's really any separation between these three categories. Mm -hmm. Um, More they, I would say, they are uh, steps on a spectrum. They're all connected. They're all one thing. But it provides an easier way for us to build a practice, to start slowly over time and get better and better at the actual living of loving, the actual being, the presence of love. Um, So I like to start with what I call impersonal love or existence level loving. Um, And this goes back to the idea that God is all there is. So if unconditional love is all there is, then that means that's what's expressing as me and that's what's expressing as you. And so I don't need to know anything else about you other than if I focus on the fact that because you exist – It means that you are an expression of the same thing that I'm an expression of. I can love you simply because of that. We can look at like, I mean, even though though existence can be really hard sometimes, when we stop and think about it, existence is pretty awesome, right? (laughs) Like the fact that we are alive, the fact that we have consciousness is pretty Mm mind-blowing. It's a pretty special thing. And you have that special thing. I have that special thing. The person who I completely disagree with politically has that special thing. The person that I, uh, that I just cannot stand for whatever reason has that special thing. So when I put my blinders on to all of the judgments that I have, to all of the things that I think make us separate, um, and, and just focus in on 
you exist and I exist. And that's pretty cool. Your nature is love and my nature is love. So I'm going to love you just because you exist. Um, that's, a, that's a fairly easy place to start practicing. Now, eventually, we are going to want to look at all of those judgments and do the forgiveness work around them, right? Because we don't want to stay stuck with those. But as a, as a starting place um, to practice loving in this way, uh, and the easiest place to do it really is in the car at a stoplight. Somebody's crossing the road at a crosswalk. You know nothing about that person. You've never met that person before. You will probably never see that person again. So it's easy in that moment, easier in that moment, to bring that loving energy into the core of your being. We've talked about this. And then recognize that same loving in them and intentionally send that loving energy from yourself. It's kind of esoteric, but whatever. Intentionally send that loving energy to that person. You can even say out loud, I love you simply because you exist. Mm -hmm. Now, it's best if you're in your car and not shouting that at random strangers on the street, right? That might right. give you a very different experience yes. than you're intending. Um, but so we can start there on that basic existence level of loving. No connection, no personal relationship. We then move into this personal level of loving, and that's when we start to have a connection with the person. We know them more than just seeing them walk down the street. So we begin to have this recognition of their uniqueness. When we practice this impersonal or existence level of loving, it, it's the same for everybody. There is no difference because it's just that basic ground of being that we're finding and loving. We're finding that divine spark in them that's the same in everybody, and we're loving that divine spark. So it's, it's the same experience. When we get to personal level of loving, I'm noticing the way that you choose to dress. I'm noticing the turns of phrase that you use. I'm noticing the particular way that um, whatever it might be, the uniqueness about you and allowing that to bring some flavor um, to the loving that I'm experiencing. That also brings a little bit of danger, right? Because in order to have this per perceived danger, in order to have this personal experience, I've got to open up more to you. I've got to let you in, mm -hmm. right? I've got to share things about myself with you that might be vulnerable. Um, so we get to practice at a deeper level when we're having a personal relationship with somebody. Um, and, and we love some people more than others? Personally, I would say that our ex our experience is is different. Yes. Um, now, ultimately, when we are the absolute best at the loving practice that we can ever be, then the answer to that is no. We love yeah. everybody the same. That's a way too high of a bar for <laughs> the majority of the people on the planet to even think about at this right. point, right? Um, but yeah, there are certainly people that I. Um, <laughs> And this, for me, this, this practice of loving is not about finding love in somebody else. It's not about putting the loving outside of myself. It's about using that to recognize the love that I already am. I'm not, I'm not saying I love you to somebody as if they are the source of my love. My wife and I have talked about this from the beginning of our relationship. We're very clear. She is not the source of my love. I am not the source of her love. We inspire each other to find that loving within ourselves and share it. Um, so with the personal love, we get a little bit more nitty-gritty. Eventually, then we can raise that up to the level of unconditional loving where instead of blinding ourselves to all of the judgments that we have, to all of the things that we don't like about somebody, we see all of those. We take the blinders off. We see people as they are, as they show up with the decisions they make, the things they've done, the things they haven't done, all of our judgments. And in the face of them, we love them anyway. 
to the best of our ability. And that is that I think is the key in practicing love in any form is that caveat of to the best of my ability. It takes a lot of work um, to do any of this. It takes a lot of intention. It takes a lot of focus. It's going to bring up a lot of our judgments. It's going to bring up a lot of uncomfortable things for us that we have spent time not looking at, right? Because you can't have, to a certain degree, you cannot have love and judgment coincide. They don't uh, they don't work well together. You can sort of play around with them a little bit, but you're going to be limiting your experience of one by having the other in the field. So so it's a deep practice. And when we say to the best of our ability, that itself is practicing loving for ourselves. We're saying, I'm going to love myself even if I try to practice this impersonal level of loving with the person crossing the street and I just really don't like their hairdo and I just get frustrated because of that. Mm-hmm. Or I do really good with this person crossing the street and then I see the homeless person on the side of the road and I lock my door, right? Whatever these things are that we do unconsciously that take us away from loving. Is, is it kind of a circle? You start with that impersonal or existence level love for anyone, mm-hmm. people, strangers. You get to know them. You get to love them or judge them or both. Mm -hmm. And then you work through that into unconditional love, Mm -hmm. aware of their good and bad qualities and come back to I love you because you are. Um, So I would say sort of. Um, So unconditional, it is a very easy transition. It is a very natural flow. Um, I think in unconditional loving, for me, it's more than just I love you because you are. Mm Mm-hmm. It's I love you because you are, I see all of the struggles that you're having, and I love you in spite of those struggles. I love you through those struggles. I see all of the wonderful things that you're trying to do, and I love you because of that. Um, I see all of the terrible things that you've done, and I love you because you are working through that because you're doing your very best. So it's more than just you exist. Uh, You exist is always the foundation for all of these different levels. Um, But with that unconditional Loving, we've got to go beyond just you exist. And we've got to see all of the conditions that can be in the field and love in the face of those anyway. So it's an informed love. Yes. we got to take a break. Um, this is really interesting. Uh, <laughs> this has been Jameson. Listen, we'd love for you to call in to 816-251-3555 if you're listening live on December 4th. So we'll be back after these messages with the Voices of Unity. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. 
Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Blair Tabor from Unity San Diego, taken from a talk called Sacred Service, The Ultimate Spiritual Growth. Who we are and who we perceive ourselves to be as human beings is just such a small part of who we are as spiritual beings. You remember the phrase that I like, you know, Emily Cady says, God did not make you to be spiritual pygmies, but spiritual giants. You know, and do we live as if we're spiritual giants? No, we don't. We live, we live as if we're you know, weak human beings. You know, we're spiritual giants. We need to live that way in our lives. So we have to let go of the ego. It's a challenge because we spent so much energy and focus on, on our ego, on dressing a certain way and talking a certain way and looking a certain way and, and lining ourselves in certain ways to, to uphold that ego identity. But as we're willing to let that go, let it be permeable to spirit, then what we find is we're connected to that infinite oneness that is God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Have you ever performed a random act of kindness? In a beautiful new book called Write It On Your Heart, Unity employees make suggestions for random acts they've tried or received themselves. The book includes 40 ways to express kindness or compassion and has room to journal about your experiences. It's the perfect gift, and you'll want one for yourself, too. Look for Write It On Your Heart at unity.org shop. Daily Word has developed beautiful card decks to support your spiritual journey. One deck is about healing, another is about finding peace in troubled times, and the family cards are two decks, one for parents and one that can be colored on for children, so families can talk about spiritual principles together. The card decks are available from Unity. Go to unity.org, then click on Shop or call 1-800-24-UNITY Monday through Friday. Would you like to experience more peace and joy in your life through A Course in Miracles? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley support you in discovering the powerful life lessons available through this unique spiritual thought system that teaches the way to love and peace is through forgiveness. Join Jennifer every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, to experience the healing for yourself on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Devonport. We are back. I'm here with Ben Jamison again today. This is week three out of four that Ben is with us. Uh, We have so much to talk about, but let's just take a quick moment here so you can tell people how to find out more about you. Sure. So I am available 24-7 at (laughs) benjamison.com. J-A-M-I-S-O-N is the spelling of the last name. Uh, So you can find the book, Church Free Spirituality, there. Uh, You can also find my video series there where I post a new video every week that's roughly three to seven minutes long, depending on how engaged I get in the topic. Um, And that just takes something about spirituality, something about my own personal practice, what I'm seeing in the world, what I'm experiencing, how I'm practicing, um, so that we can take a little dive into that um, and and explore together. Um, So I post those every week on Fridays. It's Church Free Friday. Uh, You can also find me on Facebook on my author speaker page. Um, That's another great place to reach me. Um, And then I do speak um, quite a bit at various New Thought Centers. 
Um, I'll be speaking at Unity of Lawrence this coming Sunday. We'll be looking at kindness. So that'll be a wonderful opportunity if you can make it to Lawrence. Kansas. Lawrence, Kansas, yes. Um, so you can also find me there, and those those events generally get posted on Facebook as well so people can find me where I'm speaking. Okay. So we've been talking about love, three kinds, the impersonal or existence level. We are love because we are God in human form. Uh, personal love, which is when you love someone, and then unconditional love, which is when you love someone in spite of everything. <laughs> um, Let's talk about how to practice love, though. Are there different practices for each of these levels? Um, I think they flow into each other real well, and there's a lot of different ways that we can practice loving. And again, um, one of the things that we've talked about a lot is to try it out. My my word is not the authority for you, right? So try it out. See if it works. Create your own ways to practice. Um, and create your own categories. If you find categories that work better for you, again, recognizing that it's just a spectrum, right? It's not really separated. So for me, I like to start with the impersonal level of loving, even if I'm working on it with somebody in a personal sense. Um, first is recognizing that the love that we're talking about is inherent in who we are. It's not sourced outside of us. It's not something anybody gives to us. It's who we are. And it's like a muscle. You exercise it. All of spiritual practices are like exercising muscles. You build the skill. So we start with generating that feeling of loving in ourselves to the best of our ability. We can do that just by focusing on loving. It might be thinking about your favorite baby animals sleeping in your arms that just brings love into your body like nothing else, whatever that thing is. So we start there by generating that feeling of love in ourselves. Um, when we begin with impersonal level of love, we then recognize that same thing exists in the other person and intend to send our loving energy out to that person. Um, so when we get to personal level of loving, we again start in the same place. Generate that loving within ourselves, building the muscle of getting used to feeling what loving feels like. And the more we do this, the deeper it will get. Recognize the presence of spirit in them, that unconditional love in them. Connect from that impersonal level of loving. And then begin to pay attention in our consciousness to all of the things about that person that we find unique and wonderful and amazing. And, and just notice the richness that comes in with those unique expressions. Um, we can also pay attention to the things that come up in us that make us uncomfortable when we start to do this because there's loving that we can then apply to those uncomfortable feelings to make them okay, to love them anyway, right? And then when we get to the unconditional portion of love, see, when we're doing this personal level of loving, I'm not really focusing on, oh, God, you know, this thing about you really annoys me, right? <laughs> I'm focusing on, oh, this thing about you is delicious. I love the way that you do this thing. I love this tick about your personality. It's mm -hmm. so fun. I love the way you laugh, whatever it might be. When we get to unconditional love, we, again, start with, I love you because you exist. Now here are the unique things about you that I find enriching. And then I just let it all go and say, here is, here is the totality of the picture of you that I'm seeing. And I do my best to maintain that loving center that I generated at the very beginning while I'm in the presence of all of that. And again, to the best of my ability, right? I am going to fail a lot when I try to practice unconditional loving. But if I make it okay that I fail... And I just go back to the beginning. Oh, I'm off on some tangent about this terrible thing about you. Hang on. Let me go back, generate that feeling of love in myself again. I love you because you exist. Now here's the wonderful things about you. Now let me try again to see the whole picture. And we do this again and again, just practicing bit by bit. 
Another way that I love to practice is what I call the I love game. Again, great to do when you're driving, as long as you're paying attention to the road. <laughs> Look around and call out all of the things you love. Ah. I love the fall colors. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that there are some trees that still have green, some trees that are still colored, and some trees that have no leaves. Mm-hmm. Isn't it great? That, and you just get you can get more and more crazy and more in-depth on this. I love... Uh, I love that rose. That rose is so beautiful. I love roses. I love the color of roses. I love when I see that color in paintings. Isn't it amazing that I can go to a museum and see a painting that somebody painted 500 years ago, that they felt so much love in themselves, that they aligned with the creative capacity of the universe and burst this rose on canvas that I'm now reminded of. And we get into this amazing connection of how everything flows into itself, all because we're just looking for things that we love. I love, I love that car. I think that car is really great. Isn't it great that we have ingenuity and creativity and genius that create cars? I love cars. I love that I don't have to walk everywhere I go. I love that I can travel 80 miles an hour when the speed limit says it's okay. I love, you know, so we can find all of these ways to find everything around us that we love. And then we're going to condition ourselves to focus on what we love rather than the things that annoy us, that irritate us, that take us off of our center of loving. That doesn't involve really these three levels of loving at all. It just involves looking for things that, again, are not the source of our love, but inspire us to feel the loving that we already are. You have some of the most productive drives I've heard about. (laughs) (laughs) You get a lot of spiritual work done in the car. (laughs) Might as well make it useful instead of just being bored in traffic, right? Yeah. Okay. One of the things I used to practice, and this may be in that first category, Mm -hmm. Uh, when I was new in Unity, I was living in Washington, working in Washington, D.C., and I would take the metro home every evening at rush hour, and I started blessing the people on the metro. Mm-hmm. And I would just think something like, divine love through me blesses you. Really simple. Mm-hmm. And a couple things happened. One was that I felt the blessing myself. Just as you said, the inside of the hose gets wet mm-hmm. when you water the garden. And the other was I started to feel tremendous compassion Mm. for the people. What I noticed was how tired they looked. Mm -hmm. Everyone. just And, you know, it was Washington, so they probably were. So uh, compassion is yet another spiritual practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. The thing about compassion, it, it relates so well to the practice of loving, particularly when we direct that practice of loving to ourselves. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I have found with all of these practices, it's so much easier to send that energy to others than it is to really focus it in on ourselves. So compassion, compassion, the ability to be with suffering. Um, I like to look at it as the lighthouse, right? The lighthouse in the darkness does not get absorbed by the darkness. It doesn't fight the darkness. It doesn't judge the darkness. It simply shines its light. And that makes it okay for the ship out in the distance to find its way to shore. Compassion is much like that. It's like being that light in the darkness. It's sitting, being able to sit with yourself or with somebody else who is in the midst of suffering, not make that suffering wrong, but just to be that loving energy, that loving presence, that light that allows whoever you're working with, yourself, somebody else, to have their experience and have it fully and allow that to work through them and change them and grow them. Um, and that is, that is again, that's, uh, 
a deep practice and something that is not necessarily easy to do. But it's one of those things where we start um, right where we are and we do our very best to, um, to practice it. Uh, great story about compassion from my own life. I was working through my master's in spiritual psychology, and part of that process was doing observations of people in different age stages. So um, I believe it's Erickson was the, was the psychologist um, who created these different age stages and said that at each stage there's something different that we're working on. And so part of the, prog- uh, part of the program was to go and observe people in these different age stages, feel what we were feeling, journal about it, write about it, and do the work, whatever healing work came up. And I was at a coffee shop with my wife who also has this degree. She got it before I did. So, um, and I'm, I'm working on observing this age stage, which included late teen years. And so I'm watching, I'm observing the worker who's working behind the counter. And those, those years for me were pretty awful. Mm. Um, and so as I'm doing the observation, I'm looking at the clock thinking, my God, is this thing over yet? And my wife hears me frequently go, like these deep sighs, these deep sighs. And eventually she looks up and she says, just be with it, honey. Just be with it. Because I was resisting it, right? I was judging it. I was making my feelings wrong. I was, I was shutting them down. I was refusing to look at what was in my way, at what was coming up for me to, to experience by observing this person and all of the memories that it was triggering. So, but just be with it is that piece of compassion, just to, to, to be able to sit in the discomfort and to let it be okay, to know that you're going to be okay, even though you're uncomfortable. And recognizing that if there is an experience that you are having, it's there to serve you. You know, we can look at, um, if God is all there is, and God is eternal, can never be destroyed, is all about love, is all about joy and gratitude and beauty and peace and abundance and all of these wonderful things, then we can use everything in our experience to get ourselves closer to that. Um, and, and so we can use this energy of compassion to, um, again, to make our experience okay, to not judge it, to let it have its way with us, to be grateful that it's there because we recognize that on the other end of it will be more peace or more joy or whatever the lesson is for us to learn in that experience. I thought you were going to say that you felt great compassion for the barista in his late teen years because you'd had such a hard time then. But you ended up feeling it again mm-hmm. and needing to have compassion for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Because hey, the interesting thing is I, I, was, I was projecting all of my experiences onto him. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what his experience was like. He might Maybe love the best years of his being life. 19. Yeah. He might think it's the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. See, it's not, it was my experience <laughs> that was at issue, not his experience, right? Yeah. Huh. Compassion for ourselves is huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I talk a lot about the inner critic because I have a loud one. <laughs> and, of course, part of it is the fear that if I don't listen to the inner critic, I'll just go to hell, you know, mm-hmm. dissipate. Yep. Won't do anything right. And probably the opposite is true. So how do we generate more compassion for ourselves? Is there a practice of that? 
Um, there, there is, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, you know, I think one of the, one of the ways to help with that is practice, practicing compassion with others, Mm -hmm. because again, it's easier to have compassion for somebody else. Um, and as we begin to practice with other people, as we put our attention on it, then we start to get what it feels like to be in a compassionate place so that it's easier to bring it to ourselves. Um, I think another great way to, to practice compassion with ourselves is to ask other people to help us. Um, I know that whenever I am having a really difficult time, um, again, I have a wonderful, wonderful partner in life. I know that she is holding a compassionate space for me. Um, so even if I can't quite get there, I know somebody is there with me anyway. Um, it's about practicing that loving. Love and compassion are so interwoven. Um, you really can't have compassion without love. We have to start with that loving core that says, I love you. I recognize you. I know that even though this suffering is not required, it is still in your experience and you're okay. And I'm going to love you through it, right? So that's one of the ways that we can practice compassion with ourselves is you know, it's so easy to spin in those negative experiences, to just sit and let the thoughts run and rumble and just tear us down. Um, and when we recognize that happening, the way to practice compassion is is to kind of pull ourselves back a little bit, to recognize that, you know, there is the experience and then there is the one who is having the experience. And that as the one who is having the experience, I am not bound by it. Yes, it's in my experience right now, this upset, this turmoil. It's in my experience, but it's here to serve me. If we can get that mindset that everything in our experience can serve us, if we choose into that, then that will help us to get a little bit of separation between the experience that seems so overwhelming and ourselves having the experience. And that little bit of space can bring us back to that loving center, to go back to love, to, to, to find whatever we can do to bring ourselves into that loving experience. Another great way to practice compassion is to completely stop what we're doing um, and to do something completely different. Uh, it, is, it is not at all kind or compassionate to say to ourselves, I am in the midst of this horrible experience and I have to deal with it now and I have to fix it now and I have to make it better mm-hmm. because I'm spiritual and <laughs> this is what I'm supposed to do and so I've got to be good enough. And right. sometimes we just need to say, I'll, I'm going to put this on the shelf. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go read a book or I'm going to go pet my cat or I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to do something else because giving myself a reprieve from what I'm doing to myself right now mm-hmm. is very compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I'm a little more settled, I can come back to this. So that's another good practice is recognizing when you need to stop what you're doing and do something else. Yeah. Uh, one of the best questions that's ever been asked of me when I'm stewing about something mm-hmm. is when someone says, what would you tell a friend? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, a friend, you know, I would say, this is not a big deal or you know how to handle this. All these supportive things. And it never occurred to me, of course, to say that to myself. Mm-hmm. So there's the there's the interesting uh, physician heal thyself, mm-hmm. the the admonishment to doctors, right? And and new thought in unity, we say that it's metaphysics. So we're metaphysicians. So to a degree, metaphysician heal thyself. Like, yes, right. Tell your t- if this were somebody else, 
How would you how would you help them through it? And again, sometimes we got to get the space before we can really do that. Right. Right. Um, But no, that happens to me all the time. My wife is very good about sneaking questions in in such a way that I have to answer for somebody else. And I'm halfway down the answer before I realize, oh, Oh. she got me again. Okay. She sounds like a challenge to live with. She's a delight to live with. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so let's talk about meditation. Mm -hmm. I have some – I started to express my self-judgments about that. I'm not good at it. Uh, But so talk about that because, you know, we hear all the time you absolutely have to meditate. It's life-changing and some people love it and some really get restless. Sure. So – and again, meditation is also very helpful in getting us into that space between the experience and uh, what's going on so that we can have that space to go back to loving and go back to compassion. Um, I think meditation is is very misunderstood um, in that it is so easy to confuse the technique of meditation for meditation. Um, so hmm. – Sitting cross-legged with your back straight without a chair behind you, twisted in a pretzel, doing mudras and chanting Om um, for 45 seconds at a time or whatever it might be is a technique for meditation. Um, a labyrinth, which is a, a, a path that you walk, is a walking meditation. Mantra meditation, mindfulness meditation. You see, all of these things, the mindfulness, the mantra, the walking, those are techniques. They're not the meditation. The meditation, at least as best as I understand it currently, is an internal experience of peace and clarity and focus and silence. Where the chatter stops, where you're very present, very centered. In whatever way you get there. In whatever way you get there. Ah, okay. In whatever way you get there. I think I mentioned um, I mentioned her earlier. One of my one of my teachers. Um, meditates by ironing. She finds ironing to be a great technique for meditation. Mm -hmm. And it gets a chore done at the same time. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, that act of ironing brings her so present in the current moment, so focused that everything stops. The mind chatter stops. She's totally present in what she's doing. She's totally focused. And that for her is a meditation. Um, Mantra is a great technique Mindfulness is a great technique, but if we get caught up in the technique, then we're going to miss what the meditation is. And um, meditation doesn't have to happen with closed eyes. Meditation doesn't have to happen with our physical bodies being still. It's an internal stillness, not an external stillness. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, those, those peak experiences, you know, you hear athletes talk about them, right, where, mm-hmm. where suddenly like everything slows down and it's going in slow motion and the thing just happens perfectly and it's almost like it's extra bright or whatever. Those peak moments, those are... Those could be described as meditative experiences, right? Because you are so totally present in the current moment, so focused, so still, so peaceful. Um, And that's what meditation is about. It's not about the technique. Um, And so I think when people say, oh, I can't meditate, I have a hard time meditating, um, part of that is you're focusing on the technique, not the meditation. Um, And the other part is meditation is hard. It is. It is hard (laughs) in the society that we live in, in the world that we live in to get our minds to stop chattering for two seconds can be huge. 
Um, so yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of practice. And, um, when we, when we start a meditative practice, um, I think another thing that people probably do that is detrimental is they hear about, oh, people meditating for an hour or people meditating for 20 minutes. And so then they think, all right, well, if I'm going to meditate, I better try something for 20 minutes. And that's not going to do it if you're just starting. Um, you got to start right where you are. Um, a minute is a great a great amount of time to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we if we try to if we try to put ourselves on two, you know, walk before you run, all of those other platitudes, um, we gotta we gotta start with something that's easy so we can begin to build the practice. Um, another thing with meditation that can make it very difficult. Um, is a lack of commitment and consistency. Um, so I had been I had been aware of meditation for many years. I'd been practicing meditation off and on for many years. I had a very hard time doing it. I finally sat down one day with uh, with the minister of the center that I was a part of at the time. Um, I wanted to learn his meditation technique, and part of that was he had a scroll that had a piece of paper on it that said, "I." And I wrote my name and committed to meditating at least blank minutes per day every day. And I signed it. I filled it out. I put in what my commitment was. Mm-hmm. I signed it and he signed it. So I had my written signed commitment to meditate for at least 10 minutes every day. That was where I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and that commitment was so helpful in ensuring that I did it every day. And just like with any skill that we're trying to build, commitment and consistency is key. So the more we sit to meditate or walk to meditate or whatever the thing is that we're doing in a consistent way, then we're going to slowly build the muscles. We're slowly going to build the ability. And let's be clear. We all have the ability to sit still for hours at a time. We've all sat down in a movie. Sure. And it was over and realized we hadn't moved a bit, right? Mm -hmm. So – that ability is there. It's already inherent. We don't have to build that up. Um, but we just have to get used to doing it bit by bit, and that consistency helps. And then when we're comfortable with the minute, we can move to two minutes or three minutes or five or 10 or 20. We slowly build up instead of starting at this big number to begin with. I've learned, though, that for me it takes about 10 minutes for my mind to settle down. Mm-hmm. And if, I, if I'll stick it out that long, then the next five minutes are much better. Uh, easier to just have some clear moments mm-hmm. of silence. And uh, there's a Buddhist monk who was teaching meditation, and he said, if you get 15 seconds of pure focus, you're doing really well. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay. So people who say they meditate for an hour aren't necessarily in that pure state of connection and Silence and no thought right. all that time. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. My, my general meditation time is 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I do my best to do that twice a day. Sometimes I do twice a day. Sometimes I only do once. Mm-hmm. But since I signed that commitment, I have not missed a day <laughs> Good. Um, of at least 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, you know, it takes, it takes a good bit of time for me to really settle into the meditation. And like you said, I'll find myself... I'll find myself in this wonderful space and then the next thing I know, I've followed a random thought down some rabbit hole and I have no idea how long I've been there. Mm -hmm. And I just come back and just come back. Another really important tool in establishing a meditation practice is a timer. 
Um, because if you don't have a timer set, your brain will consistently go, how long has it been? Has this been too long? Am I going to be late? Right. Maybe yes. I should check the time. Yes. What's going on? Has it been too long? Has it been a minute yet? Has it been five minutes yet? And there are apps for this. There are so many. And you can set them and they'll ring a little chime to sort of bring you back. Oh, yeah, I'm meditating, mm-hmm. uh, which I appreciate. And, you know, you can, it'll chime throughout the time you set and then chime three times at the end. Yeah. So one of the meditative practices that I love for people to start with, um, because it's a real easy way to get a good sense of what meditation is and how you can do meditation. And it combines mindfulness and mantra. It combines two different techniques. Mm -hmm. So the mindfulness technique is just being aware of what is, really focusing on what is. And mantra is repeating a word or a phrase over and over and over again silently so your brain focuses on that and nothing else and then sort of drops out. Talk really fast. So set a timer for a minute. Close your eyes. Every time you breathe in, think to yourself, I am breathing in. Every time you breathe out, think to yourself, I am breathing out. Do that for a minute. Notice how you feel after a minute. You will feel different, calmer, more centered, and you've got a combination of two techniques that you can just expand the time on and go into a meditative practice that way. I love that. Thank you. Uh, Ben Jamison will be back next week for more uh, spiritual practices that you can do whether or not you go to church. This is Ellen Devonport with Voices of Unity. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.